you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, continuing our series in the Ten Commandments. And we are in uh, commandment number five this week. So if you found Exodus chapter 20, I invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. We'll read verses 1 through 17 and read all 10 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of it. You may be seated. Each week we've been doing a little bit of work to summarize and understand, to to learn a little bit from these commandments with this New City Catechism. Question 6 begins like this. How can we glorify God? And I'd like you to answer out loud. By loving him and by obeying his commands and law. And what does the law of God require? That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the one that I've really been hoping by the end of the series we can all answer, and it's getting harder every week. So... What is the law of God as stated in the Ten Commandments? You shall have... That was better than last week, all right? If anything, let's get number one down. You shall have no other gods before me, all right? Number two, you shall not... Yeah, you're kind of like no idols. Okay, you shall not make for yourself an idol. So you've got it, all right, number two. Number three, you shall not misuse the name... Yeah, not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And that's important. Before we go to the next screen, remember, he says, the Lord your God. And that was tied into the introduction in Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. 
He is our God. So if that helps you remember number three, all right? Number four, remember... Yes, wow. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. All right, now, that's off. Now, number five, honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. And then as a way of explanation, as you're working with your kids, you ask them, okay, what does God require in the first, second, and third commandments? First, that we know God as the only true God. Second, that we avoid all idolatry. Third, that we treat God's name with fear and reverence. And what does God require in the fourth and fifth commandments? Fourth, that on the Sabbath day, we spend time in worship of God. Fifth, that we love and honor our father and our mother. And what does God require in the sixth, seventh, and eighth commandments? Sixth, that we do not hurt or hate our neighbor. Seventh, that we live purely and faithfully. Eighth, that we do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else. And what does God require in the ninth and tenth commandments? Ninth, that we do not lie or deceive. And tenth, that we are content not envying anyone. You guys have the rhythm that the Pamblankas do. Tenth, that we are content not envying anyone, okay? Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? No. Since the fall, no human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly. Did God create us unable to keep his law? No. But because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, we are all born in sin and guilt and unable to keep God's law. Okay, since, since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? that we may know the holy nature of God, the sinful nature of our hearts, and thus our need of a Savior. I want you to hear very clearly in that summary, number 15, the point of the commandments is Jesus. They point us to Christ because we understand more of who God is and his holy nature, and we understand. I hope you've felt it. I've felt it. Every time I'm up here preaching, I'm stepping on your toes because I'm stepping on my own toes. We cannot, in our flesh, keep the law of God perfectly. We are all sinners, and thus we need a Savior. They point us to Jesus and to God's grace toward us. Okay, thank you for working through those with me. Now, each week we've also been looking at a big picture question, and our big picture question today is what can we learn from the arrangement of the Decalogue. Decalogue is another fancy word for the Ten Commandments. Deca meaning ten, and log from the word logos meaning word. Ten words, ten commands that God has given. What do we learn by the arrangement that God has given them to us in? And the shorter answer is this. The arrangement of the Ten Commandments shows us a vertical and horizontal aspect of our obedience to God. Remember, we asked, what does the law of God require? That we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, vertical, and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39 is all about. Jesus answering says, you shall love the Lord your God. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then 
This is the first and great commandment, verse 38. Verse 39, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus, in summarizing the law, breaks it down in two. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what has led theologians to describe the Ten Commandments as having two tables. What they mean by that is not that there was some division in the giving particularly of it, but as we evaluate it, we see two distinct aspects to it, the vertical and the horizontal. The first table is made up of the first four commandments, which all deal with our love of God. There's a great book called An Introduction to Biblical Ethics by David Jones. I highly recommend that book. But he points out that the first commandment emphasizes our internal love of God, identifying God as the true object of our worship. The second commandment is about our external love for God that speaks to the manner of our worship. No idols. The third commandment is about our verbal love for God. And the fourth commandment is about the temporal love we show to God, how we use our time in worship of God. Then, the second table summarized in Jesus's second great commandment, is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so from commandment 5 through 10, there's an emphasis on love that's to be manifest to our neighbors in relationships, moral interactions between individuals. To summarize, the fifth commandment addresses the sanctity of human authority. The sixth addresses the sanctity of human life. The seventh deals with the sanctity of our relational intimacy, how we relate with intimacy. The Eighth Commandment addresses the sanctity of material stewardship. The Ninth is about the sanctity of truth. And the Tenth is about the sanctity of our motives. All of these deal with human interactions and our love of neighbor. These relational commands flow from and are second to our love and our relationship with God. So with that in mind, it is of utmost importance to see the importance of the order that God gave each of those tables in and the relationship between the two. So if a person has a right relationship with neighbors that make up his family, like the fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother, he is more likely to love and honor neighbors beyond his family. The relationship between parent and child is the first and the primary relationship. It is the beginning of human society. Under ordinary circumstances, the first people that child knows are his parents. And so God intends the family to be our first hospital, our first school, our first government, and our first church. If we don't respect authority at home, we will not respect it anywhere. Now, one last note as we look at the arrangement of the Ten Commandments. By putting these two side by side, the vertical and the horizontal aspects, I want you to see the importance God himself places on the fifth commandment. It stands in parallel with, have no other gods before me, 
honor your father and mother right up at the very top of the second table. The theologian Augustine once asked this question, and this is penetrating. If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? Think about that. For a while, as we've been trying to memorize the commandments in our own home, I've had trouble with six, seven, and eight. Murder, adultery, steal. I tend to want to flip adultery and stealing. I don't know why, but as I've considered the impact of uh, the consequences of breaking those commands, that's helped me ranking adultery above theft. And so I see murder, and then I see adultery, and then theft, and then lying, and then coveting. And so there is kind of this descending order, but get this. It wasn't until I was studying for the fifth commandment that I realized I had misplaced number one. Number one in the human relationship is not murder, it's dishonoring your parents. <sighs> Having honor for your parents is given above murder. Now, of course, we know murder is a big deal, but hear this. Of course, murder is worse in so many ways. But if we learn to honor our parents, if we get the fifth commandment right, we will be far less likely to break six, seven, eight, nine, or ten. Do you see? If we can, it's preventative medicine, if you will. If we get the fifth commandment right, then you won't be murderer. You won't be a, a theft or an adulterer or a thief. This is so important. It is the building block, the foundation of a well-ordered, neighbor-loving society, honoring parents. Kevin DeYoung writes this. He says, quote, is it no wonder that when totalitarian regimes throughout history have tried to exert control over people, one of the chief mechanisms by which they've done so is severing the attachment to the family, making allegiance to the state the building block of society rather than the honoring of parents. The power of the state and the power of the family are often inversely related. As one goes up, the other goes down, end quote. Let the hearer understand. In other words, the fifth commandment is bigger than just saying, kids, take your baths when mom and dad tells you to take your bath. No, civilizations, societies, cultures, and countries do not flourish apart from social order, trust, mutual respect. And all of this is meant to be taught and imbibed in the incubator that is the family. So with that introduction, okay, and that weight of importance of this command as, it, as it's situated in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments, it helps us see how important this is. Let's look then at verse 12 and consider the fifth commandment. Verse 12 of chapter 20 says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I want to speak for a moment to the extent. We've talked about its placement and its importance. There's more to this than simply honoring father and mother. You see, God is so gracious to us because don't we all love to submit to others in authority? Don't we just love that as a society? I'm speaking sarcastically. Of course, we struggle with this. 
But God is gracious because he teaches us submission to authority, to human authority, in the most loving setting possible. Again, I'm describing what I believe to be most ordinary circumstances. I know there are exceptions. But we tend to understand that our parents love us for the most part in society. We, we know that our parents care about us, and so God teaches us in the shallow end of the pool what it means to honor somebody who's given to you by the Lord. Of course, we know from the rest of scriptures there are going to be other God-given authorities that we have in our lives as we grow up that we are to give honor to and extend uh, respect to beyond our families. That's why, although today I'll primarily be talking about the relationship of parents and children, I want everyone to recognize that in this command, the Lord is establishing a universal rule, or maybe to put it better, a proper disposition that is to be universally applied. That when someone has been placed over us by the Lord's ordination, we should render them reverence, obedience, and gratefulness. You didn't get to choose who your parents were. The Lord gave them to you. And so when someone has been placed over us in authority, they are to have reverence, obedience, and grateful, gratefulness from us as a rule. 1 Peter chapter 2, just to kind of broaden this extent and kind of prove it from Scripture, 1 Peter 2.13 says, Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether governing authorities, as we are told by God, all the way through, and he goes down the list, okay? Then in Romans 13, verse 1, the governing authorities are specifically spelled out. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Later in verse 7, Paul says, then pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and here it is, honor to whom honor is owed. That word honor, just like honoring our parents. Or consider church authorities, as we discussed them a few weeks ago. The word shows up again. Let the elders, 1 Timothy 5, 17, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. This is not just remuneration. It's also respect that is due to them for their position of authority in the church. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them as they're keeping watch over your souls. And we could go on to respecting and honoring your authority in the workplace. We submit to those who have been placed over us. So from the get-go, we see that Scripture consistently calls us to submit to human authorities. And remember, this is about loving neighbors, and you're going to have other humans that are in authority over us, fellow humans, and we submit as scripture says, as unto the Lord. And the building blocks for this, the training wheels for this, this respect of human authority all begins in the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. This word for honor in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 comes from the Hebrew word, which is kavod. And it means weighty or heavy. Mothers, fathers, 
you have a significant job, a weighty job. And children and parent, children, you should respect your parents as having that kind of God-given responsibility and weightiness upon them as they raise you. But as you already know, children in the room, your parents make mistakes. Your parents are not perfect. And we know we do that. We don't do things the right way all the time. But hear me clearly. The honor that is due to your parents is not dependent on how deserving they are or based on their performance. Parents are to be honored because of the position of authority that God has placed them in. There's another word for honor and respect that I want to share with you. It's the word reverence. Reverence. Because we adults in the room know how undeserving, at times, our own authorities are of respect and reverence. It would be especially difficult to do this if the respect we gave them were based on their performance. If the respect we gave to our governing authorities or other authorities was with our agreement on how well they handled all their responsibilities. Nevertheless, we are commanded by Paul to give honor to whom honor is due. And that debt of reverence due to them is because God has given them authority over us. So we give reverence as unto the Lord, not because they're perfect. We give them reverence as unto the Lord. And this leads me to the idea of obedience to parents and other authority figures. We are to obey our parents. Children, do you hear that? Parents, you've been waiting for this commandment for like weeks now. You've been looking ahead and saying, well, I can't wait for week number five. We are to obey our parents when we're part of their household. Not if we agree with what they ask us to do. Not if we find their reasons convincing to us. Like, hmm, yeah, I don't think I'll do that because that doesn't make any sense to me. We'll do that because they're our parents. And we are to obey without complaint, without excuse, and without delay. That's the word in our family. We obey without complaining, without excuse, and without delay. Let me say this very clearly for all you kids in the room. Obedience to parents carries with it only a couple of exceptions. I want to name a couple of them for you. Let me just clarify this. I'm not saying that you are to obey absolutely. Kids, hear me. Look up in the room if you're listening. All children, all teenagers. You are to obey your parents unless they ever command you to do what God forbids or forbid you to do what God commands. If they ever tell you to do something God says not to do, you disobey your parents. And if they ever forbid you to do uh, something that God has told you to do, you are to disobey your parents. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents, and he gives the modifier, in the Lord. For this is right. We are to obey in the Lord. True obedience um, is to be given as unto the Lord. And so we prioritize the first table, the vertical aspect of our worship and obedience to God over the second table. We must, as scripture says, obey God 
rather than men. So, respectfully, in those hopefully rare cases where God-given authorities abuse or misuse their authority, we obey God rather than man, and that rule applies to us by extension as adults. We're, we're learning about this. We're, we're growing as we understand how to honor authority. We obey unless they forbid what God commands or command what God forbids. So just to give the kids a concrete, simple example, if your parents ever told you to steal something, don't do it because that would be disobeying the eighth commandment. It's a very concrete and easy example of what it means for your parents to abuse the authority God has given them. You disobey in that case. Now, the other exception about obedience is not exactly an exception per se, but more of a modification that takes place in relationships when a man gets married. Okay, when a man gets married, or by extension, I think in our culture, when children leave the home. In Matthew 19, Jesus reiterated the Genesis principle that a man should leave his father and mother and do what? Cleave to his wife. There's a new family unit that is formed with marriage. Even in ancient Israel, when they would just build on to the abode and they would add more uh, rooms to the house, there was a clear separation of authority lines when a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. So a 50-year-old mom can't expect to call up their adult child. You listen to 50-year-old moms? I know there's a few of you out here. Can't call your child and expect them to fulfill your every command and directive. All right? But with that being said, as the child, there is still in the fifth commandment a general respect and reverence, and kids should do what parents reasonably wish with appropriate boundaries being set whenever and wherever possible make an effort to honor your parents wishes as they get older so reverence obedience i want to talk about a third way children can honor their fathers and mothers and that's gratitude gratitude can i get an amen from all the moms and dads in the room you see aside from prompt obedience there is nothing that will make your parents happier than for you to be thankful, to be thankful. Listen, the moment your mom or dad became a parent, especially if they're a good and faithful parent, they had a brand new priority list. The life of parenting is a life of nearly constant sacrifice. All the moms and dads said, Amen. yes. To name just a few, so the kids are clear in the room of the sacrifice. Parents sacrifice privacy, preferences, time, money, sleep, oh precious sleep, for you, our children. They take care of your needs before they take care of their own. And it may be hard to understand completely as a kid, but just take this advice, children in the room, from Pastor Jason. If you say thank you to your parents and mean it, it goes a long way. Adult children in the room, take this advice from Pastor Jason. If you call your parents up and say thank you and mean it, that will go a long way too. So mom and dad, Pam Blanco, mom and dad Welch, if you're listening to this message at some point, 
thank you for all the sacrifices you made for Christina and me. So now that we've considered the first part of honor your father and mother, I'd like to look briefly at the second half of the verse. That your days, verse 12, may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Paul says in Ephesians 6-2 that this is the first commandment with a promise. The promise is long life, and then later in Deuteronomy, of a prosperous life. It's not intended, hear me, to be a supernatural guarantee. It's rather a divine principle. I don't know if you've heard this when you study the book of Proverbs. Proverbs are not promises, they're principles, okay? So it doesn't work out in every single case. It's the the way the world works. It's the way God created things to operate. It's what happens when people have rightly ordered relationships. The result is a prosperous and long life. Kevin DeYoung writes, the, the writers of the Bible were not dumb. They lived in a real world where people died. It wasn't like everyone who was really good and honored their parents lived to be 100 and everyone else died really early. Living long in the land was more about an abundant life than about chronology. If you want to enjoy the full blessing of the promised land, obey your parents. If you want to have a prosperous and enjoyable and long-lasting enjoyment of what God is giving you, listen to your parents and obey them. It's not a formula. It's not a mathematical equation that has to balance. It's a recognition of how God has created this world. God has given these commands, all of them, for our good and for his glory. And hear me clearly, students, teenagers, young adults, as a rule, if you want to enjoy your life and not be constantly in trouble or at odds with other people, start by listening and obeying your parents. It's a principle that takes you into life. It propels you into a life where you will be in much harder circumstances. Hear me, much and much harder as the world turns and things progress. It's harder and harder for us to understand this, but we are to honor God-given authorities as unto the Lord, never transgressing what God has required of us. Hear me, always obeying God first rather than man, but otherwise, unless you are being compelled by authority to sin, you obey, period. That is the general principle and aspect. And if you live like that, if you live out your life like that from childhood on, you will find that you do quite well. And you will find that your obedience to the other commands, six and following, will flow from having learned what it is to respect and honor others because we are going to be put in positions with people that are fallen and sinful. And we are to love them like we love ourselves, and we are to love them as unto the Lord. So, honor your father and mother. This commandment, like the other commandments, is fulfilled in Christ. I know I have not honored my parents perfectly. I know children, you in the room would probably even say, even with mom or dad right next to you, I am not a perfect child. Parents, you will definitely admit, right? that you're not a perfect parent. We all have sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. But here is the good news today. I want to leave you with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ has fulfilled 
the law perfectly. Jesus was an obedient son, submissive to his parents. We see that in Luke 2.51. We see it in John 19, when Jesus, as he's on the cross, is considering and honoring his mother, caring for her, making arrangements for her, saying, John, take care of mom. Mom, this is your son. This is the one you can, can rely on. He was honoring his earthly mother even at the point of death. One of his last words on the cross was to look after his mom, to honor her. Luke twenty two forty two shows that Jesus was obedient to his heavenly father. Father, not my will, but yours be done. And we understand from Philippians that Jesus was obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the fifth commandment. And his sacrificial death on the cross is what has paid the penalty for our disobedience to the commandments. Because we deserve God's wrath, God's punishment for disobedience. But Jesus paid it all on the cross. And by his blood, you can be forgiven of your sins. And more than that, the Bible tells us that we receive Christ's righteousness and his obedience on our behalf. One of my favorite verses in Romans 8 says that God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What the law, the Ten Commandments, or at least the law of God, weakened by the flesh, in our own flesh, we couldn't do it. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So if by faith in Jesus you have received the Holy Spirit and you live by the Spirit in obedience to these commands, you are receiving Christ's righteousness. He became sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what, church? The righteousness of God. That is an amazing exchange, that we would receive his righteousness, his obedience to the law, in exchange for our sin and guilt placed upon the sinless Lamb of God at Calvary. That is the good news of the gospel. And as we've considered these commandments, remember they are all pointing us to thus. What do they tell us? The holiness of God, sinfulness of our hearts, and our need of a Savior.